You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So good to see all of you. And the fact that you're here on time after giving up an hour of sleep because of the time change. Give yourself a round of applause. That's pretty cool. Um, So take a second, meet someone around you. It seems like we're thin now, so... um, so people will come in late for sure. So move up to the front. There's nice people up here. And meet someone you don't know. Ready, get set, go. Check. Check. Uh, after you're done meeting and greeting everybody, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. We're in the habit of um, not uh, putting the scripture on the screen. To encourage you is all to, to find the text on your own, to bring your Bible, to highlight, to underline whether that's an electronic Bible or a paper Bible, either is cool with me. Uh, So Hebrews 13, this is going to be a passage um, about authority. And we're talking this morning about church authority and someone who will um, kind of go against church uh, authority. And he is one of our heroes as Protestants. His name is Martin Luther. Anybody Martin Luther fans? Woohoo! And so Hebrews 13, starting in verse 15, says, Through Jesus... Therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that opens, uh, openly profess his name. And do not forget to go to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then it says this, have confidence in your leaders, like church authority, and submit to their authority. Submit to their authority because, uh, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So let's pray this morning. God, we we come before you as Sunday schoolers, um, as college and 20-somethings, and God, we look at uh, the church, your your bride here on earth, and and God, we want to submit to your authority ultimately and the the authority that you've put before us. And as we talk this morning about Martin Luther and uh, this hero of our faith, Lord, let us also talk about the authority that you have invested in your church. And we thank you, Lord, that you've set things in place, and that you're a good God, and authority is a good thing. So we love you. We praise you this morning. And everybody screamed, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. Uh, I have a story, a very quick story to tell you about authority. How many of you, so raise your hand, um, your parents taught you to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Oh, look at all the hands. Me too. My parents were really into me as a kid obeying authority. And um, I remember in kindergarten, I was kind of a show-off or the class clown or something. And we were all lined up to go to lunch. Remember lining up, like, in your hallway? Anybody remember that? Nobody? It's a long time ago. Um, so we'd line up. And for some reason, I didn't. I wasn't lining up. I was off, like, dancing. And the class was, like, watching me be an idiot. And the teacher came up. Uh, right behind me, and then it wasn't like a hard thing, but the teacher just kind of, just like popped my butt, um, kind of g- gave me a spanking in front of the class, and <laughs> I was a little kid, like in my class, I was always like the shrimp or the the just the littlest kid in the class, and so when the teacher popped me, because I think I remember like I was dancing and like showing off, so when the teacher popped me, I fell down, and there was like this little landing of steps. And so I fell down like a two-step. I was like, ow! And I like, fell down these steps because the teacher popped me in the butt. And the teacher was like, 
oh my gosh, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I should be in trouble. You shouldn't be apologizing to me. This is weird. Um, And so the teacher called my mom and dad to apologize for, and she didn't, it wasn't a hard thing. It was just like a little pop and I fell down and it wasn't a big deal at all. Um, But she called my parents to apologize because really, I mean, teachers aren't supposed to be hitting students. If you're a teacher, you know that. Um, But, but so the teacher called my parents to apologize, but my parents didn't hear the apology. What my parents heard was I was fooling around in class. And so, so my parents were more concerned with, well, what was he doing to get that spanking? We're going to spank him some more is what we need to do. Um, and, and so my parents, if your parents were the kind of parents that um, like, were like, would like stand up for you and go against the teacher, my parents would never do that. They would always be like, well, what did you do wrong? You need to obey your teacher and the authority that they, they, you've been placed under. And so that's, anybody else can relate with that. Their parents were like, okay, good. I'm not the only one in here. My parents just taught me to obey authority. And so we're going to talk about authority, church authority today, and Martin Luther. And so officially, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new to Sunday School, we do have some cards uh, for you to fill out with as much or as little information as you want. And then you can bring them, uh, see like right out there, there's um, the little table out there. We'll give you a little gift baggie. It's got our senior pastor's book in it, one of them that he wrote. And um, so a little gift for you if you're new. And uh, as far as other announcements go, I, d- I did want to talk maybe one last time about a mission trip to Haiti that uh, there's some Sunday schoolers going on. I think I'm going to go now. It's looking like uh, Jordan Lee, wherever he's at. Where's Jordan? He's gone. Yeah, there's Jordan. Uh, we're going to go. A couple of other people from, I think, so- some Sunday schoolers that come uh, pretty regularly. Uh, you might know them. Steve and Diane Foley. They're an older couple. They're both medical doctors. And so this is in a way, a medical trip, but if you have no medical training like me, um, you can still go. There's lots of things we can do. And this is one of the trips uh, that is not going to be like a vacation. Lots of mission trips. I think sometimes, I've, at least I've been on mission trips that are kind of just more for me and more of a vacation kind of, but this trip, there's actual work to be done, um, whether you're medically trained or not. The trip's dates, if you're at all interested, are June 13th through the 21st. And up here on the speaker right here, I have a little... Uh, it's like a bunch of like information about Haiti and a contact information if you're at all interested. The trip is only, I say only because I've spent over almost 4,000 on mission trips before going to South Africa, but this mission trip is only 1,800. It's, it's a lot, but it's not as much as other trips that I've been on, so it's um, affordable, I guess, to raise support for that. So, And Haiti is one of these countries still being devastated by the earthquake that happened a few years ago and then just very poor Um, I don't know, infrastructure to receive funds and money, and there was like some scandal that happened, so it's still a country that is very third world and could use uh, help, uh, specifically medically, and so we're going with the Foley's, and it's a a new life trip, and there's since I'm going and some other Sunday schoolers going, thought I would mention it one more time in case there's anybody that's like, yeah, I'd like to go. Sounds awesome. So, mission trip to Haiti. Continuing right along, we're talking about church history, we're in the Reformation this, this month of March, a pretty cool time of church history. And if you want an extra nerdy homework assignment, there's a nerd alert for you. <laughs> I 
Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. It's a pretty popular text. If you ever go to uh, Bible school, if you went to Bible school and you took a church history class, you probably used this book, maybe. It's pretty popular to use. And so we are at chapter 24. If you're reading along with us, that's a homework assignment. If you're extra, extra, extra nerdy, which I imagine you all are because you lost an hour of sleep last night and you're still here. Well done. Slow clap just for you. Just for you. So let's talk about this guy named Martin Luther. How many of you, and be honest, because it won't be all of you, if, if I asked you, so I might ask you, so raise your hand if you feel like you could talk for 60 seconds about who Martin Luther is. Not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther of the 1500s. So if you could raise your hand if you're like, I could probably talk a minute, 60 seconds. Sweet. Okay, good. I see like 10 hands. Well, we are going to talk for the next 45 minutes or so about who Martin Luther is. So if you don't know who he is, he is a big deal in church history. He is probably most famous for this scene of, of nailing his 95 theses on the, wall, on the church door of the city of Wittenberg, which is in uh, Germany. There are 95 bullet points kind of attacking the church of Rome. And if you're with us, uh, been with us in this church history, you know that through the Middle Ages, there was really only one church in Western Europe, and that was the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther uh, starts the Protestant Reformation or the protest to the Catholic Church, which will, um, you know, the reason why we are here and not in a Catholic church is because of what Martin Luther did. And so sometimes people think, oh, Martin Luther crushed, you know, took a hammer and smashed the Catholic Church. And that's just, we shouldn't think about it like that because this picture is actually a picture of downtown Colorado Springs. This is St. Mary's where Pastor David Price uh, resides. And, And so this church is right, if you could see straight through all these buildings, this church is down there. So to think, oh, Martin Luther got away with the Catholic Church, he smashed it. No, he didn't. The Catholic Church is still around. We as Protestants kind of come from that line of of church history. And so let's talk about Martin Luther. Every time uh, we listen to the Desperation Band, we probably have Martin Luther to thank for that in some ways. Every time we go to a Protestant, not a Catholic church, we in some ways have Martin Luther to thank for that. Every time an atheist chooses not to believe, well, in some ways, uh, we have Martin Luther to thank for that. And every time we just meet and have a denomination to choose from other than the Catholic Church, well, in some ways, we think of and can thank Martin Luther. So let's talk about who this guy is. And so we're going to kind of go through a brief story of who Martin Luther is. If you're following along in the notes, uh, th- these notes could fall under Martin Luther's story. And we're going to look at like some of his movements in life as he progressed in his own faith. And I think if we were all to look at our own life, our own faith journey, we would have somewhat of a story to tell. I would say, well, I grew up Catholic, and Martin Luther grew up Catholic. And then um, in high school, I went to a Protestant youth group. Um, and, and heard the message of Christ in a new way, at least new to me, that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was like, yes, I want that. So I, I would say I dedicated my life in high school to Christ and to following him. Then a few years later, maybe three years after that in high school, I found a charismatic church and learned about 
uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and powerful for today. And I'd say that, that took me on another journey through my Christian life. And then I would say uh, a couple years after that, I came to New Life, a, a church just filled with the Holy Spirit and awesome worship. And I said, that, that took me on a different journey. Then I became an uh, intern here and then a pastor here, went to a seminary. And that would kind of be my journey thus far. And so let's look at Martin Luther's story, like his faith journey, which will coincide with uh, real events of his life uh, as far as um, his secular events go. So anyways, here's Martin Luther's parents. Do they look pretty mean? Yeah, he looked kind of mean. They look like hard-working German people, like they're just about ready to say, Gesundheit, or something. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's Martin Luther's dad named Hans, a good German name. Martin Luther's mom named Marguerite. And they're from Saxony, which is an area of the Holy Roman Empire back in the 1400s and 1500s. And little Martin Luther was born in 1483, if you want to write that down, just 1483, just as a kind of a point at which we can reference later. 1483, he was born, and the next day he was baptized at the Catholic Church there in Saxony, and he had a pretty rough childhood. As you can see from the the pictures, uh, the paintings of these people, they looked kind of strict. They looked kind of harsh, and that's what Martin Luther would talk about, his childhood being kind of strict, his parents being really strict on him. He talks especially about his own father uh, being very, very demanding of him. Martin Luther talks about how his father really, 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 really wanted Martin Luther to be a lawyer, go to law school. So Martin Luther gets trained, he goes to law school, and then after one year, he drops out. Anybody been there and done that? Drops out of school, maybe not law school, but you, you have this plan, your destiny for your life, your dad is pressuring you to go to school. Martin Luther goes and he drops out. He can't handle it, can't make it in law school. And so he drops out. When Martin Luther is 22 years old in 1505, when he's 22, instead of dressing up like hipsters and making fun of his exes and having breakfast at midnight, at 22, Martin Luther, um, three, not one, not two, not, but three of his friends die from the Black Plague, the Black Death. And a couple of his family members, brothers, died of the Black Plague, a pretty hard year for Martin Luther. Last, I think last, a couple times ago, we talked about how deadly the, the black plague was. You would get it within three days, you'd probably be dead from respiratory failure. And Martin Luther, three of his friends ended up dying. And he was at kind of a fork in the road of his life. What am I going to do? I just dropped out of law school. My dad wants me to be a lawyer. I can't handle it, can't make it. What am I going to do? And the story is that he was outside in a thunderstorm. Kind of a bad place to be in a thunderstorm. Um, and he was electrocuted by the thunder. Or not by the thunder, by the lightning. I always get those two confused. Anybody else get those two confused? Like, which one's which? Oh, yeah. The lightning uh, electrocutes Martin Luther. Uh, and he cries out. And, he, and he's very Catholic, so he cries out to a saint. Saint Anne, help me. And kind of makes this promise to God, to Saint Anne, that if you save me, from this storm, that if I, if I live through this, I will become a monk. I will dedicate my life to you. And maybe some of us have made those vows in a moment of uh, extreme fear. It's like, oh, if you get me out of this, God, I'll be good for the rest of my life, I promise. Or Martin Luther's case, if you get me out of this, I will become a monk for the rest of my life. And so he does. So the next part of Martin Luther's story is that he becomes a monk. And some of it is... Kind of like looking at his life, 
he, he didn't make it in being a lawyer, so he kind of, the next best thing, I guess, was to become a monk. And he, it's kind of cool how in history he's very humble and he, he thinks very low of himself. Martin Luther, he thinks, oh, I can't handle being a lawyer. I'm not good enough, so I'll become a monk. And yet he becomes this monk who changes the entire world. In fact, even secular people like putting together lists of like the most influential people who have ever lived, even a secular lists, Martin Luther will usually be in the top 10 of all people of all time that have impacted the world as we know it. So anyways, Martin Luther, monastic life. If you remember from a couple Weeks ago, we were talking about monasticism and being a monk in the Middle Ages and the hard life that they have, celibacy, living in an abbot, living in a monastery with a, the father over you, lots of authority, lots of um, waking up throughout the day and night to pray, like every three hours. So imagine last night, I know we all last lost an hour of sleep, but imagine if you got up at midnight and three in the morning, and six in the morning, and in a couple of minutes, it'll be nine o'clock, praying every three hours around the clock. That's the life of a monk. Pretty hard life. So here's a little picture, a painting of young Martin Luther um, as a monk. And um, he was very, very, very like hard on himself. And maybe some of you are like this, or you know people that are like this. There's always... Um, and some of it's good, like humbling yourself, thinking very heavily of the sin that you have committed uh, in the Catholic Church uh, in the Middle Ages and still today. If, if you sin, then you go to a priest and confess. And so Martin Luther would go to a priest, confess his sins. He would be uh, so uh, meticulous about the sins and making sure he would confess his sins that he would write them down. Like throughout the week, I was like, oh, I sinned, I would write this down. And Martin Luther talks about how the process of writing down his sin would, would make him sin some more. So think about it this way. So if you're like really mad at someone, maybe you're mad at someone right now, you th- you like, you're like, oh, I'm so mad at this person. Oh, I sinned in thinking about them and wanting to kill them. So I sinned. And then you go to write down that sin later on, like, oh, I've got to make sure I confess this. In writing it down, you're like, man, I really hate that guy. Like you're reminded about how much you hate that guy. And so you sin again. So Martin Luther would like sin upon top of sin upon top of sin. And he would go to the priest and confess and confess. And the story is that the priest told him not to come back until he had something real to confess. Like he was just so hard on himself. uh, And he would... um, Like he's had stories of starving himself, fasting, sleeping out in the snow. Uh, Other monks would drag him in. He says at one point later on that that point of his life almost killed him. Those years he spent as a pretty extreme monk almost killed him. And um, I remember going through, like in college, like I look back now and think, man, I kind of went through a monastic period of my life, like right towards the end of my college, when like every day, uh, I've spent like three hours in prayer. I would pray outside. I learned how to play the guitar so that I could uh, worship. I would would pretty often like just sleep outside with nothing but like a blanket just to like go before the Lord. And I just remember um, <clears throat> one time in the winter camping outside, not even camping. I just had a blanket. And I was like, I'm just going to, for the Lord, I'm going to suffer and sleep outside under this tree with nothing but a little wool blanket. And I was like, I could have died I don't know what I was thinking, but I, maybe something like Martin Luther, just this like extreme time in, in a young life uh, where I was just wanting, going you know, for the Lord and really hard on myself with sin. 
And so maybe that's something, a glimpse of what Martin Luther went through. But anyways, uh, we don't like that kind of talk very much. Uh, the talk about confessing our sins, the talk about um, you know, a, a, a God who is judgmental. We're like, whoa, 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 brother. Don't talk about God being a judge. He loves us. It's like, yeah, that's true. But there's, there is the other side of fearing the Lord and being aware of your sin and knowing that there is judgment. So a discussion question for you. At your table, if you're at a small table, jump into a larger table. Uh, there's plenty of tables up close front here as well. And so here's a discussion question for you, for you to chat about at your tables. In your humble opinion, that's what I-Y-H-O stands for, what place does fearing God, like that kind of talk, fearing God's sermons, maybe like a hellfire and brimstone message, what, what place does fearing God have in the church today? What place does it have? What place should it have? Um, let's talk about that for just a second. So discuss at your tables. Ready? Get set. Discuss. I'll give you like uh, 30 seconds and then I have a microphone. I would love to go out and get a few of your responses. I have a mic. I would love to hear a few of your responses. And you could go either way on this. You're just like, no, you know, we do need the place for, you know, fearing God. We, we don't need the place uh, for fearing God. I would love to hear some of your responses. Higgins? No? Other? If you, ha- you shouldn't. <laughs> Did you say something good? Do you want to share? Okay. Sibling rivalry is what's happening right here. If, if we are too comfortable with God, uh, when, when God needs to correct us um, or speak into our lives, we're either going to reject it outright and say, well, God, God's, he's my best friend. He's my bud. Yeah. But God's not our best friend. He's not our bud. He's our father. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you are too friendly with someone and they need to correct you, your boss or your parents, and then when they correct you, it, it's hurtful. You take it far more personally than you should have and yeah. than what it was meant to be. So God's our Father. So I think um, missing, missing that mark puts, puts you in a dangerous place that you won't be able to receive what God has for you. Yeah. Okay, good. So not being like, like there was T-shirts came out a while ago that said, Jesus is my homeboy. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. He's also your father. Yes, Miss Crow. So, well, I'm going to use an example. I'm in the Thorn, uh-huh. and um, I'm going to see the mob scene. The mob scene? And it's, like, really tough to do because I'm like, well, if I do this, then if I rebuke Christ, it's like, what, is he, he going to get mad at me? And then I'm like, well, no, because I don't need to fear him because I'm doing this for him, and I don't need to be afraid. Oh, like, so you're in the crowd, in the crowd mobbing Jesus. Yeah. You're like, is this wrong? And then no. I have to, like, rebuke it. I'm like, no, wait, that's not that's Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's good to know you're just an actor or actress in the... Yeah, that's good. Miss Spurgeon, here, I'm going to... Here, Bailey, could you hand that to her? We discussed how, um, and it still happens today probably in some churches, where was the whole fire and brimstone message of yeah. God is a tyrant and that that's not an effective way. And it's completely inaccurate. Like for of, street evangelism, holding signs. Yeah. Y'all are going to hell. Just so, the sign. I mean, I don't want to be terrorized into having to obey something or being forced to, to fear and be in terror. Um, but there is a healthy respect, like Higgins was saying, you have mm-hmm. a healthy respect and awe of an all-powerful God who laid his life down for you personally. 
And I think that's a healthy fear. It's an awe and respect. Yeah, good. So uh, maybe a difference between like white knuckle fear and a respect fear. And if we're telling people to white knuckle fear, then that usually just comes across as us being judgmental in our world where people are so uh, standoffish to someone telling them something judgmental. But then there is this side. The other side is, well, what about the awe of God? What about a fear that should come within to an all-powerful, almighty, perfect God when we sin? Well, here Martin Luther is. Here's another picture of him a little later in life. And he's still a monk. Uh, He becomes a Catholic priest, and he's terrified when he gives communion. He talks about in his journals and personal writings, letters, about how scared he was when he took the elements, the bread and the wine and the Catholics. uh, They believe in something called transubstantiation, which we'll probably talk a little bit about next time. This idea that Christ, it's not just a symbol. We as as, uh, Protestants talk about, oh, it's just a symbol. Catholics are like, no, Jesus, it's, it's more of the presence of God. So when Martin Luther would hold these elements, he'd be scared to death that that his sin was going to haunt him, that his sin, you know, he's not worthy to hold the sacraments. And so he uh, gets stationed, I guess is a good way to say it, since there's lots of military people in here. He, Martin Luther gets stationed in Wittenberg, and he becomes a professor in Wittenberg. That hints the hat. That's like a professor's hat kind of thing in the Middle Ages. And he is still struggling. He's studying the Bible, teaching the Bible as a professor, still struggling with the self-condemnation and, and, and always confessing sins and, um, and, and fasting and beating himself up over his sin. And some of the people that are over him think, it's a good thing for you, Luther, to maybe take a vacation and to go to Rome. So Luther takes a trip to Rome, the capital, the Mecca of Christianity in the Middle Ages in Europe in the West, and he goes to this place. That's where the Pope lives. That's where the Catholic Church, that's the capital. And so he goes to Rome and uh, sees this building being built. That's this St. Peter's Basilica. And if the time he went, if we look at those years, Michelangelo would have been there painting the Sistine Chapel. Raphael would have been there painting in the Vatican. Um, other Ninja Turtles, they would have been doing their thing. Same time. Um, so Martin Luther goes to Rome with all these high, high expectations. And in the Catholic Church, um, they, they hold relics pretty highly. If you don't know what a relic is, it's like a, uh, something that is from like the Bible times or something that has been blessed. Like um, They kind of get it from this verse. Acts 19.11 says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul would be taken to the sick and their illnesses would be cured. Pretty cool. Um, So what if instead of touching the handkerchief, what if you actually touched Paul or Peter or they're, of course, passed away, but what if you could touch their bones or the place that they had been buried? It's like this is a holy place, a place where a Peter or Paul had been buried. How cool would that be? So the Catholic Church held relics pretty highly, and this is hence the Basilica of St. Peter's where uh, St. Peter is buried in uh, that cathedral and the building surrounds him. So Martin Luther goes and is like, oh, I need to touch, you know, the the place where where Peter is born. I need to see some of these relics and become holy. And he goes to Rome and instead of seeing this awesome place, kind of sees uh, Disneyland. And I don't mean Disneyland in a good sense. I mean like Disneyland in a bad sense. Um, You goes to this place, it's just overrun with like tourist trap kind of stuff. Maybe you've been to some touristy places 
in the world. I know I've been to the Eiffel Tower and Stonehenge and uh, uh, the Great Wall of China. And whenever you go to these places, there's like, wow, you're filled with awe. But then you're like, kind of like, man, this is kind of dumbed down experience because everybody's trying to sell you the t-shirt or the little baby Eiffel Tower or the little Wall of China thing or the, the Coke that has the soda, the, the picture on it and all this stuff. Maybe some of you have climbed to the top of Pikes Peak. Anybody climb Pikes Peak ever? Oh, lots of you. You get up there and you expect this, you know, to be in the middle of nowhere, to be on top of the world and look down and what's up there? Like a huge gift shop and you can buy donuts and t-shirts and little rings and postcards and all this stuff. In some ways, it kind of takes away from the experience if you spent all day hiking up. And so anyways, Martin Luther's two-month journey to Rome, he goes and experiences Rome and he kind of sees tourism. He sees uh, like the mockery of, of priests who are there. I mean, he's going to this holy place, and he hears, he writes down later, that he hears some priest, as he's doing communion, some priest says, bread thou art, and bread thou shalt remain. It's like, wow, that's, that's very different than you know, Martin Luther's approach of like, being too ashamed to even hold the bread. And he, he just has a pretty bad experience in Rome. And the head of the Roman church is, of course, the pope. Uh, and at the time of Martin Luther, the Pope's name was Pope Leo X. And we'll talk just a little about, about uh, Pope Leo. He was crowned in 1513 uh, when he was 37 years old, a pretty young Pope. Most Popes are like in their 60s when they are crowned Pope. And he was not a priest, so he's one of the only uh, non-priest Popes to be elected Pope. Here's a picture of him painted by Raphael, the Ninja Turtle guy. Um, I, I say that joke and it's always like, yeah, that's all we know about Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello. It's like they're Ninja Turtles. They're not Ninja Turtles. They're real people. Anyways, uh, so Raphael painted this picture of Pope Leo Tenth. There he is. And seemingly there's really great popes in history. Then there's some popes that kind of do some bad things. And this pope is probably one of the ones that leans towards not being that great of a leader in the church at his time. He only ruled as Pope for eight years, pretty short time before he died. And um, he is the guy that is probably the most famous for putting the indulgences in effect, specifically the plenary indulgences that would forgive you from all sins, both past and present. We talked about this last week, that you could buy a piece of paper in the Middle Ages issued by the Catholic Church saying your sins were forgiven. And At the top of this whole strategy and money-making scheme uh, was Pope Leo X. And there's talks of Pope Leo X. Um, Nothing is really proven in history about how bad this guy is, but lots of rumors. And in writing, uh, one person writes about Pope Leo that was there, uh, that he sinned, and we don't even, for honor's sake, we don't even want to name this sin that Pope Leo struggled with. Well, which, what was it? Some people have guessed uh, homosexuality. Some people have guessed uh, child abuse. We don't know what exactly Pope Leo did, so much so that they didn't even want to name the sin. But there's also stories. Uh, we don't have firsthand primary sources, but we have stories that are primary sources uh, from this time that Pope Leo would throw parties, and at parties, um, little boys would jump out of cakes. It's like, well, what are little boys doing jumping out of cakes at your parties? That just doesn't sound right. That sounds really gross. And he is going to be the one that will excommunicate um, Martin Luther. And the sweet quote on the back of 
your notes is a quote from him, Pope Leo. So this is about the wild boar, a.k.a. Luther. You kind of see where he's coming from. As the head of the church, Father, you committed the care and rule the administration of the vineyard, the church, as an image of the triumphant church to Peter as the head of your vicar and his successors. And this wild boar, that's Martin Luther, from the forest, you know, the black forest, Martin Luther from the other side of the black forest, uh, the real black forest in Germany, not the black forest right up here. Um, the, this wild boar from the forest seeks to destroy it, and every wild beast feeds upon it. So Pope Leo looking out for his church as the head of the church and maybe immoral, maybe we, we don't know to what extent how bad this guy was, but we do know that at the top, and he was at the top, he allowed these indulgences to take place. And it would only, it'll only be a few more years, 1563, when the Catholic Church says no more indulgences, all the evil gains obtained from them, should be wholly abolished, and it ends. But for this period of time, when Martin Luther is around, the, the, the church in Rome is pretty scandalous. There's indulgences, there's immorality in Rome. And so I want to give you a discussion question. And this goes back to like uh, the story I told at the beginning and this idea, the scripture that I read about authority and church authority. And here's the question for you for discussion. In your humble opinion, how can it be good to go against church authority. On some, on some levels, we have this idea that we, should, we shouldn't disobey church authority, should live our lives under it. But then we have people like Martin Luther who go against church authority. And then we, later on, will see them as like great heroes of the faith. But how can it be good? Uh, what, maybe what are circumstances of going against church authority that that could be good? What, or what are circumstances that you should never go against church authority? So that's the discussion question. Talk about that for just like two minutes Ready, get set, discuss. Check, check. Um, I'll, I'm probably interrupting your conversation, and this is a good one. This is one that maybe you could talk some more about at lunch. Um, this idea of church going against church authority, and, and I think maybe at your tables you talked about how, well, if the church is doing something contrary to the Bible, or if the church is going against fully, um, like the, the looking out for the poor and the oppressed, then maybe we should stand up and break ourselves away from it. Um, we talked a little while ago, maybe last week or the week before, I think it was more the week before, about how change should come from within. And what's interesting about Martin Luther's story is that, well, Martin Luther wasn't just this outsider looking at the church saying, you guys are dumb, you guys need to change. He was within the church. He was a Catholic priest, a Catholic monk, and from within the church... He makes this transformation. So Luther's transformation, um, we, we think about it, and we, we, we think he goes from this person like so like humble and afraid of church authority, afraid of God, and afraid of his own sin, and then he begins to read the book of Romans. And if you've ever read the book of Romans, you know that there are some pretty famous verses in there about grace and about uh, we are saved not by works, but by grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. No one can boast. And Martin Luther uh, not only reads this and studies it, but he also um, he teaches it. So he's a professor. And I've always thought um, that as a teacher, as a Sunday school teacher, I usually learn more than I get to teach. That's one of the maybe the nice things about being a teacher is that you 
you learn. You get to learn as you teach. You learn, and maybe you even learn more than people receiving uh, from you as a teacher. And so here's a picture, a painting of Martin Luther studying and thinking through um, the book of Romans. And he comes to these decisions about faith, that the salvation is by faith alone, that you don't have to buy a piece of paper, that you don't have to uh, live a perfect life. And he comes to these conclusions and wants to help the church. He wants to help, I think, by looking at these 95 theses that he wrote, uh, we will see, so he wrote 95, and, and Sasha, where's Sasha, raise your hand, she, she wrote out all 95 of the theses, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> anyways. So these 95 theses, and in a second we're going to go look at them, and I have copies, uh, I've made some copies, but I thought it'd be cool to actually like us go look at them. And so I want you to look at them, and I think what you'll find, I, there's 95 of them, so you can only pick a few to look at and actually read, but I want you to look at them and um, think through, you could probably only read a few, but look at them and see, I think you'll see that, as Martin Luther has a helper now, <laughs> They're really long. Look how long it is. Can you see how long these are? That took a long time to write. So pick a few, look at them, and I think you will see that Martin Luther is presenting this very humble thing. Uh, like, look at, if you don't look at any of them, look at number 50. You will see that if, it's like if the Pope only knew that people were selling these indulgences, the Pope would put an end to it. Well, we know in hindsight that the Pope did know about it. But Martin Luther, like very humbly, I think you'll see his humility as you look at the 95 Theses uh, with your own eyes and read a couple of the points, that Martin Luther comes and he's like, we need to see the church change a little bit. The church is teaching this, and people are selling indulgences, and that's an abuse, but we need to shift and, and talk about grace. So, uh, in the next like two minutes... Uh, what points, so another discussion question, what points of the 95 Theses stand out to you? So this is an opportunity for us to come literally up here and look at these. I have some handouts of the 95 Theses. So come on up, pick a point or two, check it out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.